Hi folks and thanks for listening to this Tortoise Shack podcast. A few things before we kick off. I want to draw your attention to the link that's at the top of the podcast right now. It's not the patreon.com forward slash Tortoise Shack one. It's Eventbrite for Podcasts for Palestine, which is taking place on the Sunday the 28th of January in the Sugar Club in Dublin. Uh, it's been set up in collaboration with the Tortoise Shack and the Fresh Batch podcast with Dean Scurry at the helm. Sincere thanks to Dean for doing all the running on this. I'm looking forward to a great night. Limited tickets are available now. Grab them as quickly as you can and hope to see lots of you there. There's also a ton of additional content out there on patreon.com forward slash tortoise including our podcast with Tyg Hickey on the very interesting 2023 that he has had. We did the uh, Northern Ireland Year in Review with Claire Mitchell and Stephen Baker. And as a short update from Zach Hanoya in Gaza, uh, a series of voice notes that we exchanged over the Christmas period. Uh, and that's exclusively there on patreon.com forward slash tortoise And the reason I keep saying that is because we want to keep going into 2024. And the only way that happens if some of you who are listening right now click that link and join us. Yes, the podcast is free, but that does not mean that it doesn't have a value. So if you're getting something out of it, please give something back. It is the easiest bit of activism you can do, and it makes all the difference to us. Thanks for listening. Thanks for the support, rating, sharing, reviewing, telling people where to find us. But do join us in 2024. We'd love to have you on board. I'm shutting up now. Enjoy the podcast. Hello everyone and welcome to PALCAST, a podcast brought to you by Yusuf Jamal uh, from Istanbul and Helena Coben from Washington DC and Tony uh, Groves from Dublin. Uh, Helena is the president of Just Word uh, Education and Tony is uh, with the uh, Echo Chamber um, podcast. And today we have a very special guest, Philip Farah. Uh, to talk about Christmas in Palestine. Uh, the world should remember that Palestine gave gave them uh, Christmas, but today Palestinian Christians uh, and Muslims cannot celebrate uh, Christmas and, and the New Year because of the genocide in Gaza. Uh, Philip is a Palestinian Christian born and raised in, in East Jerusalem. He uh, immigrated to the U.S. in 1978 at the age of 27. He has lived, studied, and worked in several countries in the Middle East, and he now works as a natural resources economist and lives in the Washington, D.C. metro area with his wife and three children. He is a founding member of the Washington Interfaith Alliance for Middle East Peace and co-founder of the Palestinian Christian Alliance for Peace. He has addressed audiences across the U.S. on Middle East peace and justice uh, um, issues Uh Helena and Antoni and Philip, very good to, to have you today. Good to see you, Paul. Thank Great you. to be with you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, I remember meeting uh, Philip back in 2014. It was a very uh, special meeting uh, because I was with uh, Rifat Al-Ar'ir and Rawan Yaghi. We were promoting Gaza rights back. And we met either in Washington, D.C. or Maryland, and Philip cracked a joke. You know, Philip has a family in Gaza, and he visited Gaza, and he told us that 
when uh, commercial flights fly over Gaza, Shijaiya specifically, where Rifat comes from, they do not have air turbulence, but they, what we say in, in Arabic, uh, like they produce this sound that Palestinians from Gaza produce when they are angry. It's just like, <laughs> and that was the joke and Rifat cracked and he loved the joke because this is a very Shijai uh, uh, joke. So very happy to, to have you also. It's very, um, you know, sad to lose Rifat, but I'm also glad that Whenever we remember Rifat, we remember joy. And this is the, the message of Christmas that Palestinians cannot celebrate today. Uh, Helena, um, I, I will pass it to you. And I want you to, to, to kick off this conversation today by asking about Christmas in Palestine and how it feels to celebrate Christmas. Yeah, well, thanks, Yusuf. Um, I wrote a blog post seven years ago reminding people that Jesus was a Palestinian Jew living under military occupation. And I think that's really important for Westerners in particular to remember because so many Westerners think somehow they brought Christianity to Palestine. So, Philip, tell us about your family's Christian traditions and, and uh, what they mean to you today. It, I don't know where to start. Uh, you know, uh, so my family are originally from Gaza. Three of my grandparents are Ghazawi. I was brought up in Jerusalem, lived uh, in Jerusalem until the age of 27. But, um, you know, over the years I've learned, well, even back then growing up in Jerusalem, we learned a lot about Gaza. We couldn't go there from 48 to 1967 because... Um, you know, it was forbidden. Uh, but um, after 67, I visited so many times and it was always, always so delightful. Um, you know, um, I mean, I had family, uh, mostly elderly uh, people that I knew and uh, they, they're no longer with us uh, long, long past. Uh, actually, two of them, um, well, no, they, all of them uh, passed away. Um, and, you know, so over the years, I learned about uh, St. Prophyrius uh, Church, which was the center of uh, my family's life. You know, all of my uh, uncles, aunts, uh, grandparents uh, were um, baptized there. They had their weddings, uh, their celebrations. It's one of the oldest churches in the world. It's a really, really beautiful, beautiful church. You know. So, so could you tell us what happened in the past few months in St. Porphyrius? Yes. Uh, you know, um, so before that, I just want to say that uh, the uh, Palestinian Christians are now a tiny minority. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, at one point, they were a thriving community, and probably about 8 to 10% of the population, you know, the Farahs, the Madbaks, the Sayers, the Sabas, the Sarrafs, you know, all Tarazis, all very close relatives. And St. Prof, well, now they're only uh, 1,000 uh, people. Um, they have uh, been, uh, you know, decimated by the occupation. Are you saying, sorry, 1,000 people in Gaza or 1,000 oh, in all of Palestine? Oh, no, oh, 1,000 in Gaza only. Yeah, yeah. In Palestine, there are a lot more, but not that much. I mean, I think maybe the latest uh, uh, numbers are maybe 50,000 or 60,000. Again, very small compared to what they used to be. 
definitely in Palestine, they were like 8% of the population in the 19, early 1900s. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, uh, that was a Jewish population. The Palestinian Christians were about 12%, I think. Anyway, uh, um, so it's really dwindled over the years. Uh, St. Prophyrius uh, is where uh, Palestinian Christians, uh, one of the two churches where they have taken refuge, the other being um, the Church of the Holy Family, which is a Catholic church. St. Prophyrius is Greek Orthodox. And um, uh, so uh, in, on October 17th, uh, St. Prophyrius was bombed. I, I'm not sure if I got the date right, but thereabouts. And uh, 18 uh, Christians uh, were killed. Um, one of uh, eight, four of them from the Tarazi family, which are close relatives. Um, Dr. Sliman Tarazi, a dentist, um, had survived a bombing of his own house. He walked out of the rubble. He took refuge in St. Porphyrius, and he did not survive that bombing. Um, I, you know, I can tell you more about the uh, traditions that I grew up with, if you'd like. Please do. Yeah, but I'd love can, to. can I make one quick point, which is, I, and I want because I want to keep this a little lighter because it's Christmas. If that's okay, yes. we're talking about Christmas. So you made the interesting joke about um, about the noise that it was made that the plane made when it was Passover. Do you mind doing the noise one more time for me? Um, I, I don't remember the status of the airport. There was an airport in Gaza, which of course the Israelis bombed and shut down. But uh, the joke is that uh, when the planes were flying over uh, from Jerusalem to Egypt, when they flew over Gaza. Uh, if there was any turbulence, they'd go. <laughs> and that's <laughs> that's the famous Ghazawi <laughs> Shahra. <laughs> when we are upset about something, we go. <laughs> in 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 Ireland we have this huge Ireland's a tiny country we, our second city there's an argument is it Belfast is it Cork but people in Cork always say you know they always say how you how do you know someone is from Cork because they will tell you they will tell you and they will continue to tell you and Riffat was very proud of his hometown and he would tell you where he was from so I, I just find that that mentality is, is quite good but yeah please let's let's talk a little bit about the, the, the Christian traditions of in in Palestine I think it's really important the listeners get a hand an understanding of that yes yeah, so um, you know my father was a devout Christian a lot more devout than myself uh, but uh, so uh, in, he maintained diaries, daily entries, uh, starting in 1933 um, and ending in the early 80s when he was uh, in Canada, brokenhearted because he was away from his beloved Jerusalem. And he uh, saw sometimes in the late 20s, 1920s, uh, he saw a procession of uh, patriarchs uh, walking from Jerusalem to Bethlehem, uh, New Year's Eve of the Orthodox calendar, which is, you know, usually around the 7th of January. And so he made a vow to walk uh, that route from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. And um, so... Uh, 
It was really a joyous occasion for us, and uh, we'd invite our friends and girlfriends. Boy, my sister would bring her boyfriend sometimes, and, you know, we'd have a trail of people, you know, walking from Jerusalem to Bethlehem, and it was really lovely. Uh, so between, um, when I was doing it at first, we, it was before 67, so we couldn't do it directly from Jerusalem. We had to go to, um, I forget the name of the village, uh, uh, deep in the uh, Jordan Valley, you know, uh, the Jordan Valley drops very, very low uh, from the hills of, uh, you know, um, the Judean hills. And so we'd walk from there to Bethlehem. Uh, it was a tough walk, even though it wasn't a big distance, but uh, very steep uh, uh, grades at times. And um, after 67, <laughs> you know, another bittersweet thing is we came under Israeli occupation, which was terrible. But now we could actually do the walk uh, straight from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. It was really a lovely. Well, now, of course, you know, uh, after the creation uh, of the wall, uh, that uh, journey cannot be done. Uh, oh, I remember the name of the village. It, it can't be done from Jerusalem directly because of the wall, the apartheid wall. And it can't be done from Sur Behir is the name of the village. Maybe some of you know it uh, either. So, Philip, yeah, just to... Um recap what you were saying, you would walk from Jerusalem to Bethlehem, which as I recall is about five miles, six miles, if you can yeah. go directly. And right. um, it must have been a truly wonderful family thing. And you could do that from 1967 until Oslo. And at the time of Oslo, right. that was when Jerusalem was cut off from the rest of the West Bank, of which it's really the the beating heart. So, absolutely. I mean, it must have been wonderful to grow up in Jerusalem with all those Christian traditions. I mean, you had Orthodox and Armenian and Coptic, and like actually, sometimes there's kind of fighting in the church. Well, you know, fighting or or you know, bureaucratic infighting over who gets to light this candle and who gets to. Uh, to shut that door. And then, of course, there is Nazareth, which is the place where, where Jesus grew up, which is in 1948 Israel. So you are blessed to be, you know, an heir to some very powerful traditions. I uh, remember in Lebanon, when I was living there, uh, Orthodox people had a different calendar than the Western churches. And then they, they had a tradition of on St. Barbara's Day, which I think is early December. Rem remind me what you do on St. Barbara's Day. Yeah, we um, uh, eat uh, this uh, uh, kind of, um, it's like, how should I say, a bit like custard, but made of wheat. Uh, and it's sweet, uh, of course, and it has uh, uh, um, raisins and um, and also a topping, uh, usually of uh, shredded coconut or uh, shredded uh, uh, dried apricots. And uh, Santa Barbara, I think, was a martyr of one sort or another. Um, yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, a lot of beautiful things. Um, my father, my father's aunt, so my great aunt was actually a cloistered uh, uh, nun of the Order of St. <laughs> Repertrice. Um, 
And my father, even though he, you know, identified as Greek Orthodox, the majority of Palestinian Christians are Greek Orthodox. He worshipped everywhere. I mean, he, you know, it wasn't, it didn't matter. Like he would see a church and he would say, ah, let's go in whether it was Catholic or Protestant or anything, you know. Actually, we hardly went to Greek Orthodox Church because uh, it, the denomination was uh, uh, kind of um, dominated by a Byzantine, you know, clergy that supported the terrible um, uh, autocracy, the dictatorship of Greece at the time, and just really did not relate very much to the Arab community. And more recently, I think the uh, the Orthodox leaders, the Greek Orthodox leaders, sold some land or, or gave, you know, in Jerusalem to the Israelis. So it must be hard for you guys to relate to uh, to that leadership. The thing I find about Orthodox churches is they don't have pews. You can't sit down. You have to stay standing. But that's just a personal thing. <laughs> Yeah, some of them do. Uh, and some have become more Arabized, and we have the great, great uh, Abuna Atallah, uh, who is a prelate of the church, and he is just amazing. I mean, he is one of the greatest uh, uh, voices uh, for Palestinian emancipation and human rights, and, uh, you know, a uh, really a voice that Israel would love to shut down as they are shutting down, you know, a lot of voices in uh, Palestine. Yes, Philip. In, indeed, I met uh, uh, Atallah Hanna uh, a couple of years ago in Turkey, in Istanbul, and he told me a very unique story about my grandfather, who happened to be his close friend. So my grandfather was wanted by the Israelis in the 70s, and he hid him in his Jerusalem church. Uh, until the Israelis captured him in 1972. Uh, I, I never uh, knew about this story, but it was uh, very interesting uh, to, to hear it. Um, just a, a reminder to our uh, listeners, we are recording this episode on uh, December 22, and uh, it's uh, Friday here in Istanbul, um, and uh, it's uh, 4, 4 p.m., uh, just to give you a sort of context of, of events we're discussing. And uh, I would like to talk about Ilham Farah, who's related to, to your extended family. She was the first music teacher in Gaza, 84 years old, and she was killed by an Israeli sniper and she was left to bleed on the ground until the next day. She Her life was not saved. And uh, I saw a very beautiful tribute to, to her and her legacy by one of her uh, um, relatives. And um, it's it's really sad because she she was, you know, a friend, daughter, sister, aunt, teacher, musician, Christian, Palestinian, human person, as, as her uh, relative wrote in, in the tribute. And she was killed uh, on uh, November, uh, I believe, uh, 12. Uh, how did you hear about her killing? And uh, as a Palestinian who has family in Gaza and this particular person, an elderly Palestinian who's loved by her many students, just like Rifat, her life was, you know, cut short uh, because of an Israeli sniper. Right. Um, 
So, uh, Ilham, I didn't know her, uh, but actually one of my group uh, board members, uh, Reverend Alex Awad, uh, he's from Jerusalem. Um, and he knew her well because he used to go and preach uh, at churches in Gaza. And he said she was a very stubborn old woman. <laughs> great. Um, I like stubborn old women. <laughs> she was delightful, had a great sense of humor, but she really, like, she was strong-headed. And um, she had taken refuge in St. Prophyrius uh, first, you know, her church. Uh, she's a Greek Orthodox like me, same family, of course. Uh, she, oh, by the way, her father was a very prominent uh, poet, Hanna Farah. Uh, he was the first cousin of my grandfather. So that's kind of the relationship. Um, he was uh, also a very funny man. He used to write uh, poets, poems that were uh, kind of, how do you call it? Uh, hija. I don't know what hija would be in English, but, you know, really kind of criticizing his fellow teachers. And they loved it. <laughs> they They just wanted more and more. Uh, anyway, so uh, Ilham took refuge at St. Prophyrius, and uh, after that bombing, which killed uh, a lot of her friends, um, she uh, went to uh, Holy, Cross, uh, Holy Family, which is a Catholic church. You know, sometimes we, we, we get along with the Catholics sometimes. <laughs> and uh, is that, is that's that, what... I was raised Catholic. I'm pretty atheist now, okay? It's... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, so she joined uh, many people at uh, the Holy Family, including uh, another relative of mine uh, called uh, Philip uh, Jashan. <laughs> Jashan is danger. Jashan means uh, kind of, it's like an honorific title uh, bestowed upon some families by the Ottomans back then. It means something like, you know, um, like greatness, uh, you know. And uh, But it's awfully close to Jashan, which means two mules. And my family was actually Jashan, but they didn't like the name. <laughs> so they changed to Farah, which means joy. Anyway, so um, Philip is in that church, and he's the only person and one of the few people in Gaza with whom I'm in touch uh, uh, using social media. So, you know, she took, re uh, so Il sorry for the roundabout, but Ilham uh, took refuge in the uh, Holy Family Church. And um, after two months, she just got really, you know, uh, exasperated. Um, I'm told that she wanted to take a shower. Uh, things, you know, it was cramped quarters. And she said, I'm going home. I just want to go home. And she proceeded. She got a taxi, uh, took a taxi as far as that. Oh, and everybody said, Ilham, please, please do not go. You know, the as even though there was very little communications, but they had enough to know that her, fam her, her uh, neighborhood was very dangerous. So, um, she went as far as a, a car would go, and then it was rubble, and she started walking, and a sniper shot her. When a sniper shoots you, they know exactly what they're doing. He shot her in the leg, and uh, neighbors uh, tried to um, go and rescue her, 
but they were shot at. So she bled to death, as uh, you said, Jamel. Uh, uh, Jamel. Um, you know, in that same church, as you probably know, uh, there were other killings, and I can, I can talk about that as well. So can I just make a point on a media perspective, and, and Yusuf, I'd like you to come back in after it, but it was, it was interesting, I don't know if anybody saw this, where they discussed this on, on Western media, in one, one specific example, a well-known journalist called Kay Burley on Sky News was questioning like, uh, one, of the, um, one of the archbishops in, in the UK about the, the shootings, and, the, and she said, she put it to them, that the IDF said, we didn't do that. And the, and the, no, but the, but this is where it was really strange. The the archbishop turned around and went, "I don't believe them." No, and yeah. and you would oh normally, my goodness, you, but, but you would normally have much more diplomatic language than this. You would normally have much more, you know. Well, you know, we need to f- establish the facts. He simply said, "I don't believe them," and the journalist did not know what to say because you know was not expecting a um, someone to re- rebut what the IDF had put forward. And I thought that was quite an interesting take this to show. You know, um, the, a member of the Christian community saying, "No, the, you killed these people, and that's what you did." And um, and it, you know, this is Sky News. This is a this is a big, you know, global brand. And I just thought it was really interesting. Sorry, go ahead. What I would love to hear a bit from Philip about is is what it was like Christmas morning, or like your your actual traditions. I know you had the the walk on December the seventh or whatever from Jerusalem to Bethlehem, but did you go to church? Did you stay up overnight and try to see? You know, like we used to when I was growing up Anglican in England. I'm no longer an Anglican or an English person. Come to think of it, um, but we used to stay up and have a midnight mass and and it was really exciting for you know young people to have these different things happen on christmas what was it like for you so uh you know uh we did have a, a tree and uh a christmas tree and you know the presents that's that's probably like more of a uh imported western uh, uh you know tradition uh but um uh, the the bigger deal was really uh, around New Year's Eve, the 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 Western calendar, so not the one uh, seven days later, which is the Greek Orthodox. And we would sing Ya Rabbu Amun Qad Mada Wa Aqbal Al Jalid, a beautiful, beautiful uh, carol. Could you uh, sing a little bit for us? Yes, I'd love to. <laughs> Um, let me tell you before that, that um, my mom uh, passed away in Toronto uh, uh, the beginning of this year. She passed away exactly on her 103rd birthday wow. in, a, an, you know, in an assisted living community. And um, she remembered very little, uh, you know, she... Once in a while, would forget names, and but she remembered uh, songs from her childhood, and um, she remembered the Musrara neighborhood, the house from which they were ethnically cleansed in 1948, meticulously. She would describe the furniture and everything, and she remembered the Arabu Amun Qadmada. 
and she 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 and I would sing it together, you know, just any time of the any time of year. Uh, and here, here here's some of it. Ya Rabbu Amun Qad Mada Wa Aqbal Amul Jadid. Oh, thank oh you. Philip, thank you so much for that. I am um, and 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 on your mother's passing, the condolences. But what a life well lived, and what a what a life, what a full life to have lived. Uh, and to see that, thank you so much for sharing that little moment. She also remembered. <laughs> she <laughs> she remembered another song. This is unbelievable. When she was maybe 10 years old, because she was at Madrasa al-Asuj, the Swedish school, which was right next to, she would, she'd practically see that uh, school uh, over the fence uh, in, in her house in Jerusalem. So and she was, hang on, she was ethnically cleansed from East Jerusalem. In 1948. Yes. No, from West Jerusalem to East Jerusalem. Exactly. Right, right. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. No, and um, and and al Asuj was a, uh, meaning the Swedish school, and um, it was an elementary school. And uh, she and her siblings went to that school um, for a number of years, and then they all went to other schools later as they grew older. And the chant of the school, she remembers that, and it says something like. Um, نحن في حب الوطن مثل طال الزمن. It's 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 really a patriotic Palestinian song, and the ending is kind of funny. It says, um, uh, f- uh, you know, uh, Asuj has its uh, uh, towers and um, its greenery, uh, uh, and our country is just like. <laughs> Just like Sweden, and uh, we will resist something like that. It was, it was amazing. Any and chance she, you could, you could sing a bit from that too? Uh, I, I, I don't remember the. the uh, we're pushing, no, we're, we're pushing our luck now, Helena. Already... We're pushing our luck now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, so. It ends with Palestine is ours, you know. <laughs> um, and she was very proud of that song. You know, another funny thing is that, um, <laughs> um, you know, I'd ask her to, I'd just like to kind of train her, you know, to remember things, and she loved that. And I'd ask her to say the Lord's Prayer in Arabic. And she would say it until, you know, if the last maybe few months she would make mistakes. And then I would ask her to say Al-Fatha, the Muslim Fatha. And it's a much more beautiful prayer than the Lord's Prayer, frankly. And because it's like a little poem, and she would remember it flawlessly until the last days of her life. She was, I mean, that's how we were in Palestine. Tree, you know, Christian, yeah. you, you mentioned Al Burbara, uh, Al Burbara, uh, St. Barbara's uh, uh, feast, which we celebrated. And, you know, uh, I mean, it was routine that the, our Muslim neighbors would come over and share that uh, 
uh, suite uh, with us. And uh, then on their holidays, we'd go and visit them and eat eat much better, more substantive haruf, you know, <laughs> lamb, <laughs> stuffed lamb. And you know, my mom grew up in Bethlehem, and, and she told me as a child she enjoyed Christmas the most because she would get all types of of, of candies. And when she moved to Gaza, she learned this uh, very special phrase. Probably you can give us some context: "Sallab salib." So when uh, when it's say it um, again. Salab salib the cross Salab. has materialized and i i did some research on that into that and people usually say although my mom is from bethlehem she only learned in gaza so it's a gaza thing and there is a story i'm not sure about the uh, credibility of this story but it's also part of our history it goes like this that when Palestine became a Christian gaza was the last palestinian city to become christian so gaza has always been very stubborn and people wanted to stay pagans. And uh, a priest came to Gaza and he saw all these trees, they were dry, there was no rain. And he told people, if you believe in Christianity, it's going to rain. So I'm going to pray to God that it rains. So people told him, Yallah, go and pray. If it, if it rains, we're going to believe in Christianity. So he went and he prayed and it rained and they believed in Christianity. And they said, Salab salib the cross has materialized, which means the priest was right, that he kept his word and his faith was right and his God was right. And since then, people have been connecting this phrase with the start of the olive harvest, the rain season in Palestine. So when it rains for the first time in mid-September and early October in Palestine, this is when people start the olive harvest, especially in Gaza, and they say, Salab al-Salib, and then, or Matrat al-Salib, the rain of the cross, and then they, they pick up their, their olives. I think it's very beautiful. I asked my mom, why does that mean? And she didn't know. She said, I, I, I always say it, but I don't know the meaning. So that's it's lovely. really beautiful. Yeah. You know, uh, that's another thing about uh, Gaza. Um, well, you say uh, it was dry and there was no rain. And, um, you know, um, how ugly they've made it now with the bombings and um i uh, my un- great uncle um he has a very long story i won't get into that <laughs> but uh he uh was a uh, consular agent for uh britain i'm not very proud of that but uh, he wrote he was very very uh, eloquent and he wrote reports about Gaza, occasional reports for the, for the um, foreign office. Uh, and um, so he describes, uh, you know, how beautiful the houses were, the mud houses, uh, and interspersed with minarets and uh, church uh, steeples and uh, St. Prophyrius, you know, such a really one of the most beautiful churches you can ever see and um and the uh, the gardens he especially mentions the beautiful gardens uh that uh, were uh, you know um that all the houses had and gaza you know yesterday i was on a panel with um uh, they had two Palestinians and two Israelis. Of course, they have to have balance because it's not enough that CNN and all the mainstream media are so pro-Israeli and tell you nothing but the Israeli narrative mostly. Now it's getting a little better maybe. But anyway, so um, 
that one of the Israelis said, oh, we made the desert bloom. And there's nothing that makes me angrier, angrier than that. Because Gaza, he describes the oranges of Gaza and actually says, uh, and by the way, he was a Croatian. He was an Arabized Croatian. So he wasn't like a, the more, and, and a consular agent for the British. So he wasn't the most patriotic. <laughs> but he said that the Gaza oranges are larger and sweeter than those from uh, uh, Jaffa. And then the <laughs> barley. Uh, and, and by the way, my grandfather on my mom's side, who, um, he wasn't Ghazawi, he was a Jerusalemite. My, his wife, my grandma, on my maternal grandma was Ghazawi. Um, he uh, owned a, uh, uh, a, um, uh, a vineyard uh, in Al Jora, uh, which uh, does not exist anymore, but just north of Gaza. And, you know, they had beautiful uh, 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 grapes. Uh, that's kind of surprising to many people that, you know, in a, an area like that, you have grapes. But, you know, uh, Hebron grapes are among the best in the world uh, t today. And the olives and the barley. Okay, so I have another story about that. The 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 grapes. Uh, Gaza was famed at the time of Caesar uh, for having the best wine in the world, and they said that Caesar would have nothing uh, but Gaza wine. And it's you know maybe that's not true. Maybe that's an exaggeration. But the um, amphora. That is uh, uh, one of the remnants, you know, the the pottery, mm -hmm. big uh, jars, the big jars, really big jars uh, of uh, 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 they're from Gaza, and they were found all over the Mediterranean uh, because that's how they exported Gaza wine to everywhere around the Mediterranean, and and it's not a thing of the past because, like I said, my grandpa had this vineyard. Uh, and then uh, the barley. <laughs> okay, so, you know, it had the greatest wine uh, back then, uh, in the around the 5th century, 6th century. Uh, and uh, so more recently, you know, my grandpa's, uh, my great uncle's diaries talk about the barley, uh, which was grown by the Bedouins in what, uh, you know, an Israeli would call the desert. It was arid uh, regions, you know, outside of Gaza. This is dry farming. And, you know, uh, around June, Gaza, the Gaza port would be full of hills of barley, which, the, uh, which they exported to uh, UK for the breweries. You know, uh, the, so there's I, a bit I, of a theme. I, I, as soon as you said, you as soon as you said barley, the yeah, yeah. As soon as you said barley, I got <laughs> interested. I got interested. <laughs> <laughs> but, but also, yeah, yeah. I, I want to just note that in Gaza, like there's a city, maybe the second city of Gaza called Der el Balah. So Der, oh Der so is is a monastery, and Balah is is the the date palms so clearly you know the fact that there is that big town city in gaza called der el balah speaks to the the deep christian roots in in the gaza area just want to i put that I, I come from in nusayarat and one of the uh, most famous spots in in my town and refugee camp is called ard al masih 
in the land of Christ. Tony, you have uh, missed on a lot of things coming out of Gaza, especially wine. I hope you get some of these I, uh, I, wines one one day. I, I I actually I was I visited I visited um, uh, uh, Roman um, archaeological site recently in Catalonia. Uh, just between, it's called Emporius, uh, which was which was Greek and then became Roman. And the amphora that you you discuss, there's many of them strewn about the place as parts of remnants and this to show where they imported the wine from places like from Palestine and from other and from other lands. And um, unfortunately, it was uh, it was it, it it didn't become an important trading partner. Like it it, it went away very quickly. But yeah, the, the all the rev- all of the pieces are there if you want if you want to, if you want to look at the history, they're all there. Unfortunately, I uh, Philip, I didn't get any of your barley for my from my from my stout. You know, <laughs> that's the- <laughs> yeah. There were two locations from which the breweries uh, got their barley. One was Gaza. And the other was uh, a city in southern uh, Turkey. I, I forget the name. Yeah, I, in fact, just 20 years ago, Philip, when I was a child, I remember Gaza as full of groves, um, orange groves, uh, olive trees. And these groves and trees were cut because of the expansion of the population. So, the the uh, you know, Gaza has been shrinking over the years, but the population has been Mounting and doubling uh, from 100,000 in 1948 to 300,000 just in a couple of months after Nakba to 2.3 million today uh, who are being being uh, massacred. Uh, I think we, we can um, close here. Uh, it was a very interesting uh, conversation with you, Philip. We, we enjoyed having you and having your jokes uh, uh, which we loved, and the stories of, of your uh, very precious uh, family, um, and you know the memories of from Gaza. The world should always remember that, you know, Christian churches in, in Gaza are one of the first ever in, in, in history, and Palestinians gave the word Christianity too. Uh, this is uh, something to remember. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I think I think Philip's memories of of childhood in in Jerusalem and going to Bethlehem. I mean, these are two places that Christians are remembering all around the world right now, and uh, we need to think of them a lot. You know, uh, a very good friend of mine. I, can, do I have just a couple of minutes? Of course, um, Reverend uh, Munder Ishaq, uh, who is the uh, pastor of the Christmas Lutheran Church in. Uh, Bethlehem, uh, gave a really beautiful, beautiful sermon. And he said, you know, they have now this uh, installation uh, of the manger, uh, and it's all rubble. It's all, you know, cements, uh, cement blocks and, and stones that are broken, representing the rubble of Azza. And baby Jesus' uh, manger is in that uh, rubble. And he said, you know, if Jesus were to be born today, he would definitely be born in the rubble of Gaza. That w- that's where his manger would be, because Jesus stood for um, the oppressed, and and what you know, what better place for the oppressed as a symbol uh, than Gaza? But I just wanted to say, you know, about my my relatives who were uh, killed in in the churches. You know, there are three places that the people of Gaza mistakenly thought were going to be safe. 
not the mosques because you know the west doesn't care about the mosques that's that's the israeli calculus you know the islamophobia is guaranteed to take care of that um but the three things uh, are um the mosques uh, i mean the churches and the uh hospitals and the UNRWA schools the united nations schools these were the three places that people thought were safe. And Israel has done everything in its power to target these places because of what they want, that, which is ethnic cleansing. So, you know, if these are the last refuges for Palestinians, then we are going to target them. And we're going to shoot these Christian old ladies. You know, the snipers are going to shoot them while they are in the compound. That's, that's what other explanation is there for a sniper to shoot a woman, an older, an older woman, in the Catholic Church of the Holy Family as she's w walking within the compound from the church to go to the toilet on the other side where the monastery is. Also, of course, they destroyed the monastery, the convent, which houses 54 invalid people some of them on uh, uh, life support. I, I, and now, you know, they on, on uh, respirators. And I need life. to make one quick point, and then we know we need to wrap. But just when you say the word compound, I also think that we've, we've lost the battle of, of the words because we would have often referred to that as maybe holy ground or sacred areas or places where people were sent to worship. And then we adopt this word of the compound as if to say, because when you say compound in a Western mentality, we almost think, you know, oh, therefore it was, they were on a compound. It's, it's, they've, they, but, but that's what you hear when you talk, that's what you hear when you watch CNN or MSNBC or any of the channels that we talk about. These little words, how they change their, how they change the word to mean something else. Look, I, Philip, it's been an absolute privilege and I'm so, Delighted to, to have uh, met you, and thanks to Yusuf for setting this up. It genuinely is a treat, and I hope everybody takes away the 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 the, the just a good feeling that you had when you talked about your your family, your history, and your connection to the land. So thank you for that. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Philip. And this is a final reminder to, to our listeners that this podcast is brought to you by Just Word uh, Educational and uh, the Echo Chamber podcast. And uh, we, I would like to thank our sponsors, the Hashim Sani Center for Palestine Studies at the University of Malaya uh, in Malaysia. Uh, very good to, to talk to you, Philip, and Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to you.